Genesis 4, 1 through 11. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you have cursed, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds are open to your spirit. Lord, may your spirit speak to us and transform us in these few moments into, more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In his book, Rough Sleepers, Tracy Kidder tells the story of Jim O'Connell. Now, I have talked about Dr. O'Connell before in a sermon. He is a gifted uh, physician who, for 40 years, has treated the unhoused population of Boston by creating a health care community specifically for them. One story that Kidder writes about is the story of Tony. Tony Colombo was called the night watchman by his street friends. Tony was the one on the streets who would guard others at night when his friends would go to sleep or pass out. He would give the shirt off his back to someone without a shirt on the streets. He would give his last dollar and did prior to his death. Tony gave his last five dollars to a lady who he was encouraging to continue in a detox program. When Tony died under a bridge one night, shockwaves went through the street community. For many in Boston, it was just another street person dying on the streets. It wasn't, though. And for Dr. O'Connell, it was, it was proven in the autopsy report. You see, Tony's autopsy stated that he had died of a drug overdose because there were drugs in the system at the time of his death. However, Dr. O'Connell knew Tony's medical history. He was his doctor. Tony had suffered from a constant internal infection the last week of his life, and Dr. O'Connell had talked to the medical examiner and read him into Tony's medical history, but it didn't seem to matter. You see, for Dr. O'Connell, it did matter, because to Dr. O'Connell, a thorough attempt to determine what had killed a body also said that there was value in the life that it once contained. You see, Jim O'Connell had been taught in residency to be friendly, but not a friend. Forget the last patient and move on to the next patient. This was designed to help doctors and medical staff manage death. 
However, Dr. O'Connell's philosophy was you replace those defenses by creating a community of patients and providers, and they would manage sorrow by sharing them together. One day, as Jim was walking, Dr. O'Connell was walking through a park, he happened to notice a tombstone written on a concrete wall. It was placed there by the lady that Tony had given his last $5 to. And it read, Tony Colombo, rest in peace. We all love you. Our text for today speaks about this kind of brotherly love. This kind of, am I not my brother's keeper? Our text for today speaks to the first story of faith that the Hebrew writer writes about in Hebrews 11.4. It's a curious story. It's a story of brothers, the first siblings and first children of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve find themselves now, at this point in Genesis 4, east of Eden. They've been expelled from the garden, but they're still living into the mandate God had given them. You remember that? Be fruitful and multiply. Cain, as we read in the very first verse, is the firstborn. And notice what Eve says about Cain. He was hailed by Eve. I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. I mean, this makes sense in the biblical narrative. The firstborn seems to hold a power. The firstborn seems to be of first importance. The name Cain actually means to produce, uh, to bring forth. And then you have the second son, Abel. Abel's name is almost an afterthought. Abel's name means vapor, breath, nothingness, worthlessness. Anybody in here the second child? Here with Adam and Eve and all of humankind now east of Eden, we begin to see the difficulties of life and more specifically life with one another. Outside of Eden with one another, with one another rivalry begins to happen between brothers. Rivalry between one another kind of sets in when you're east of Eden. As Walter Brueggemann describes it this way, to live in God's world on God's terms is enough of a problem, a problem man and woman struggle to face. But to live with God's other creatures, specifically human creatures, the brother, there's more of a dilemma. Who in here doesn't have some good sibling rivalries to talk about? East of Eden, there's an imbalance of how one should be regarded from the other. We see this in the storytelling of the first siblings. Cain could not believe that his brother Abel, remember, if your name is nothingness or worthlessness, it'd be hard to imagine that, that this brother named nothingness or worthlessness would actually have his sacrifice picked over his. Cain is the firstborn. He is the man in which God helped Eve produce. Why would God ever pick or regard Abel's sacrifice more than his? It is this part of the story where the Hebrew writer in chapter 11 kind of picks up on Abel's faith. Because when we read the story apart from Hebrews 11, I think it would be difficult for us to see that Abel's sacrifice was some act of faith. Just reading the story, 
Genesis 4, 1 through 11, it would kind of be hard to pick up on these details. But here's the thing about faith and the Hebrew writer. He sees through and beyond to a bigger meaning of the story. If faith is something that gives us eyes to see that which we cannot see, if faith gives us eyes to be able to see that beyond the horizon, the Hebrew writer says, well then, let me tell you about Abel's faith. Abel sacrificed that which God gave regard in chapter 4, verse 4. is seen by the writer as proof that Abel's faith was beyond the power of this world. His gift was the very best of what he had because the very best was due to God. In the outset of Genesis, Abel's sacrifice sees beyond the horizon towards a God that has and will continue to provide for humankind out of God's abundance and creation. Yes, Adam and Eve may have been kicked out and maybe find themselves now east of Eden, but God is a God who gives out of God's abundance to all of us still. They may have been kicked out of Eden, but God still takes care of his creation. Not only that, but did you notice what else the Hebrew writer says? Abel's sacrifice to God says something about his faith, but so does Abel's words, Abel's speech. Abel didn't say anything in the story, you say, and you're right. He didn't say anything Except in the conversation between God and Cain, after Cain had murdered his brother, God speaks to Cain about a deep listening to Abel's crying voice in verse 10. It's kind of, it's a strange little moment, right? A strange little moment in which Cain and God are talking and God asks a question, what have you done, Cain? And then the next word is, Can't you hear your brother's voice speaking from the ground? Abel's voice speaks beyond death. The death of Abel by the hands of his brother did not stop Abel from still speaking to Cain, to God, and as the Hebrew writer shows us, to the rest of us. The Hebrew writer writes in this kind of present tense, and not just a a, a, a present tense, a strong present tense that suggests that Abel is still alive and is still speaking to creation. In that last part of, of verse 4 of chapter 11, it says this, He died, but through his faith he still speaks. The Hebrew writer sees what he saw in verse 10 and says, That voice of Abel and his faith is still speaking to us Even today, Abel's voice powerfully speaks to the eternalness of faith. And what do I mean by that statement? Well, the story of Cain and Abel is terse, and it lacks the nuances of other stories. However, Abel's actions still speak to us today. His faith still speaks to us today. There's an eternalness to it. This comes with a faith that looks beyond the temporal notions of death. Though death is a separation, and while many may say it is the ultimate separation, the Hebrew writer, and with faith, says it looks differently at death. It does not see death as an end, because faith cannot see death as an end. I've been on a big Lord of the Rings kick lately. 
everyone here know what Lord of the Rings is, right? If you don't, your assignment this week is to watch all four episodes of the Lord of the Rings. Now, granted, you're going to need about 12 hours. Uh, But if you really want to have some fun, just read the books. Pages. Words. But I've been on this Lord of the Rings kick. And in The Return of the King, Gandalf and Pippin are in quite a spot. And the situation looks bleak for him. Pippin, fearful of death's coming for him, speaks about death as the end. And Gandalf replies this way. It's one of my favorite lines. He says this, talking about death. No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another part, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. The Hebrew writer, speaking of Abel's faith, says, his death was not the end. But it still speaks that Abel's still on the journey towards resurrection. He still speaks. The Hebrew writer believes that the faith of Abel lives on past his time on earth. And in fact, there's a hint from the writer that Abel continues to talk to us and to God after death. The faith of Abel sacrificed is voiced in a very real and present sense to God now and to us today. We are not to forget the faith of Abel, the Hebrew writer says. Abel's faith is something we should remember and even we should imitate. Much like our loved ones that have gone on before us, we are to listen for their voice speaking to us through our life. One of my very best gifts my mom and dad gave me after my grandmother Franz's death was her Bible and devotional journal. In the Bible slash journal, uh, there are handwritten notes and clippings from devotional articles and other miscellaneous stuff that she saved and she would just, you know, stuff in there. That she would read. And uh, to be honest with you, when I picked up her book and opened it, I didn't know uh, if this has ever happened to you with something from a loved one. But the minute I was given it and I opened it up and I began to see her handwriting, uh, it took me back to her house in Kansas. And my memories began to be flooded with this. And my grandma friends was not a big lady. She was, you know, yay high. And, 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 you know, yay small. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I said yay, don't you think? Yay high, yay small. Anyway, but they begin flooded with this, this, this little lady, frail, fragile, not frail. Oh boy, she could tell you things. But it, it flooded with this, and, and what, it, what my memories went to was her kneeling by her bedside, which she did every day, praying. And I just don't mean this woman was praying. I mean this was an intense, passionate conversation with God. And as she was praying, I remember she had above her bed a a painting of Jesus praying at Gethsemane. For a long time, it was one of the creepier paintings you could see. And all I remembered when I opened that, all I could hear was my grandma friend's voice in her praying. And that faith every day of kneeling. She didn't have much, but boy, the woman had power in her words and in her prayer. 
her faith still speaks to me beyond the grave. Abel's faith story, while short, did not end with his murder by the hands of Cain, that guy. Abel's life of faith continues through time in history. And as Luke Timothy Johnson notes, it's in an obscure fashion then. Abel anticipates resurrection and demonstrates that the righteous will live by faith, as it says in Habakkuk 2.4. That the righteous will continue to live on by faith. Abel's life speaks to us today. Again, the eternalness of faith is evident in his life and in his actions and in his voice that still speaks to us. So we should be listening and paying attention to those voices who have shown us the way. Even if gone from us now, faith gives us the ears to hear their voices still today as if they are right next to us. Faith does not end but whispers to us. And in the mind of the Hebrew writer, the faith of others, specifically Abel, still speaks to our present. Abel and others are not dead, but in some fashion still live through the lives of us and the ones around us. Our lives are a testimony to the faith of others, the pouring of others into our lives. So then we should be listening and paying attention. We should be listening to the faith of Abel and his trust that God was and is beyond him. A trust that God deserves the best of his flock, the best from us, because God's gift is our life and God's gift is our daily bread. We remember this by living out the faith of Abel each day. We listen for his voice in our daily life and the choices we make in this life. Faith will look like us responding to God and others in a way that does not hold on to our stuff or with contempt towards others, Abel's faith cries out to us to remember what? That we are our brother's keeper. While Abel is no more, his faith lives on as a witness, and as some writers say, as a judge to how well we take care of one another. If faith is forward-looking, then Abel's faith reminds us of the call on our lives from Jesus to what? take care of our neighbor and to take care of ourselves to take care of our neighbor as ourselves. Abel's voice reminds us that we belong to each other because of the other's image bearingness of Jesus. Whether inside or outside, faith, Abel's voice of faith calls on our faith to see through and in each other that we are God's good creation. Abel cries to us that the law and the prophets hang on these two aspects of our faith. That Abel lived in Genesis 4. Love the Lord your God with everything. Give God your very best. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is a faith that speaks long into the future. That is a faith which speaks to a different way of being and seeing in the world. That's a faith that lives eternally. I was reminded of a story this week. A man was talking about his wife passing away. And he was at church a few weeks later after she had passed away, and, and he was having communion. We all took it, right? He was having communion. And as he was sitting there having communion, he took the bread, and as he was holding the cup, he writes, 
for just an instant, sitting there with my communion, my wife was sitting next to me, speaking to me. It's a faith that is eternal, to which those still speak to us because it is a faith that sees beyond this world that we see now. And when we take communion, when we come in here, as we'll talk about in weeks later, faith sees the great cloud of witnesses who poured into us and who are speaking to us, speaking their life into our life. And we do the same. If you have any needs this morning, we'll have elders down front. I'll be down front. Uh, we have members, as I always say, we have members next to you who will sit there and listen to you and pray with you. Uh, but if you have any needs, come now as we stand, as we sing.